guys, welcome to another fantastic episode of Freedom Declassified. I, again, am your host, Adam Brassfield. Before we get started, I want to tell everybody that's listening, we got a very special guest this afternoon, and I can't wait to introduce you to her and let you listen to the wisdom that this woman has, not only as a business leader, but as her experiences throughout politics, if you will, dating back all the way to the late 70s. The first thing I want to do is I want to say thank you to uh, my partner, Brian Needham, who has stepped away from the podcast. He is absolutely uh, one of the greatest things that has ever happened to Freedom Declassified, very knowledgeable in prepping um, him and Barry Independent and all of his friends who he puts around him. Uh, there's something special. And Brian was a part of our podcast for several episodes, and he's actually moved on to something that is probably greater than what we are doing. However, I will tell you from time to time, Needham will still be coming on Freedom Declassified. So from the bottom of my heart, uh, the founder of Freedom Declassified in a hotel, uh, the Peabody in Memphis, Tennessee, me and Needham together Put to, uh, we, we put together an application so that people could understand that what was fake was fake and what was real was real, and no matter how me and him tried to explain it, we always came to the same conclusion, which is America first. And I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart to, to Needham and, and his family, who, who he obviously sacrificed time away uh, to be a part of Freedom Declassified. And like I said, you're going to be hearing from him soon. He's going on to bigger and better things, and he will be a part, and he's still advising Freedom Declassified, as always, and who knows what the future may, may bring. But Needham, from the bottom of my heart, Adam says he loves you, and he thanks you for all that you've done for Freedom Declassified. With that being said, this afternoon's guest, I am honored. You have no idea how I've been waiting on this interview. I, I, I have been waiting for this next few weeks to do programs on our podcast for all of you who are listening on people who have been sexually assaulted or raped by elitists. And tonight, I am so happy to welcome Juanita Broderick to Freedom Declassified. Juanita, thank you so much for coming on our program. I want you to know that what we have here is a family of 60 to 80,000 listeners that cannot wait and have probably never heard your story because of the difference in the age from our listeners and what happened, and myself included, uh, I know who you are. I know your story, but the listeners probably don't. And so I just want to say thank you for coming and welcome to Freedom Declassified. Oh, Adam, it's so nice to be here, and I thank you for asking me. Well, it is absolutely my pleasure. Now, to give you a little bit of a background about um, Juanita, I feel like I'm insulting you by calling you Juanita. Oh, Do no, I need no. to say uh, Miss Miss Broadwick? No. I I I, oh, I just absolutely. go at it like I'm okay. 
<laughs> no, no. One All right, so we're going to. We're going to keep it at Juanita right now, even though my father would roll over in his grave for me for calling you by your first name. Um, Juanita, uh, she, she was she – let's start off back in the day. You, you're a, you were a, uh, a certified nurse, and then you became a businesswoman, am I correct, and you started your own nursing home or uh, treatment facilities. Is that right? Exactly, yes. Back in 1974 – I built my first nursing home, and I was only, you know, I was so young at that time, and I had no idea how, you know, uh, unusual that was for a 30-year-old woman to be uh, uh, owning her own business. I had worked in nursing homes in Russellville, Arkansas, and Danville, Arkansas, and, and loved it, loved the elderly. So the time wow. came where I was able to, you know, to uh, build my own. Well, the big thing that I want everybody to listen to so we catch everybody's attention real quick is uh, a few years ago, Juanita wrote a book, and the book is entitled, You Better Put Some Ice on That, How I Survived Being Raped by Bill Clinton. So Juanita, I got to be honest with you, it's hard as a man to interview um, you as a woman on this subject. So I am literally going to just kind of throw you some open-end questions and let you tell us and the listeners that are listening now, our audience, kind of exactly what happened. I was so nervous about having this interview that I literally called my mother and said, (laughs) hey, Mom, you know, how do I without, you know, because this is a very – sensitive subject and we'll get into that later as we go down to this podcast but take us back to 1978 1979 then attorney general bill clinton running for the governor's office in the state of arkansas and kind of give us a background of how all this came out into play sure be happy to Back in 1978, I had been open for about three to four years, and and my business was struggling. You know, I was having, well, all nursing homes were in Arkansas, but I'll explain that in a minute. I also had never been in politics. I had never had any interest in politics. But some of my friends in the Van Buren Women's League, where I lived at that time, uh, said, have you seen Bill Clinton's ads on TV? And I had. Most all of us did. And we were excited about Bill Clinton back in those days. And uh, so I went to a volunteer meeting with them. I didn't really have time to do it, but I thought it would be interesting. So I joined up with these other ladies, and I would spend my afternoons after I left my office going around with my nine-year-old son, and we would put up campaign signs and hand out uh, campaign information to uh, people in my community. And that was fun. Uh, it was the most fun for my, for my nine-year-old son because he loved carrying that hammer and hammering those signs into the ground. But anyway, uh-huh. this went on for approximately three to four weeks. And I get a call from, the, uh, from Bill Clinton's state campaign office and they say, you know, Mr. Clinton's going to be in your area. 
He's going to be coming around and seeing businesses. Can he come by your nursing home? And I thought, well, Jesus Christ, yes, he can come to my nursing right. home. That is absolutely, right. I could, we couldn't believe it. We got ready for that day and uh, had all big signs out in the front. I invited all my family members to come there and the family members of my residents. And it was just a big celebration for us to have someone like him come in and and uh, be a part and, and meet the residents. So that day came. Here he comes in with all of his entourage, and immediately the newspaper asks for a photo, and that's the one you see on the front of my book with Mr. Clinton and myself and a couple of my residents. And after we took this uh, photo, I sort of wander on over to another area, and he follows me and uh, starts talking, asking questions, and how am I, how is my nursing home, you know. And uh, if you've ever heard anyone say this, when Bill Clinton is talking to you, he has so much charisma. He never loses eye contact, and you feel like you're the only person in the world, and you have his interest. So we were talking and chit-chatting, and I thought, you know, this is a perfect opportunity to tell this man, hey, if you become governor, we're struggling here. We aren't able to give adequate patient care on the per diem that we're getting from the Medicaid and Medicare, and we will need your help. And he said, oh, I'd love to talk to you about that. He said, are you ever in Little Rock? And I said, yes, I'll be there in about three weeks. And he said, well, good, call my campaign office, uh, and we'll set up a time to talk. And listen, Adam, I thought, my God, this can't be happening. I'm going to have the ear of the man who will probably be our governor, and maybe right, we'll right. Fin- finally get some help. So I went through all of my invoices and got all this file ready to show him what it costs to care for one resident versus what our per diem rate was. And I was excited about going down there. So about three weeks later, my nurse and I, Norma Rogers, traveled to Little Rock on uh, April the 24th, 1978, check into the Camelot Hotel, knowing that we're going to contact him the next day. The next morning when we get up, we call his office, and a young lady answers, and I said, hi, this is Mrs. Hickey. Now, I was Hickey at that time. I said, this is Mrs. Hickey, and uh, I was told to call Mr. Clinton when I got in town. And the girl, I'll never forget, she said, oh, yes, Mrs. Hickey, he's not here, but he said if you ever call, to please call his apartment. And I thought, my gosh, that's awesome. He was even expecting me. So I do. I call the number that they gave me, and uh, he answers the phone. And uh, he immediately knows who I am. And I'm trying to explain to him that we have an hour off for lunch, my nurse and I. And could we come and meet him at his office then? I brought the information. And he sort of pauses and he says, you know, I'm not going to be there today. And my heart just sank. I thought, oh, well, maybe I can leave this with someone. Then he says, now we're talking 8, 8.30 in the morning. He says, right. I'm not, I just, why don't I just come to your hotel now? And I thought, geez, that's just awesome. I won't have to drive across town. And he said, I'll come down to the Camelot coffee shop. And uh, when I get there, I'll call your room so you can come down. So I, I turned to Norman. I said, you go on to the meeting, sign us in, 
And when I get through in the coffee shop, I'll be right there. So I'm waiting in the room uh, for him to call. And in, in a short amount of time, the phone rings. And he says, hi, this is Bill. He said, it's so crowded down here. And there's even reporters hanging around. He said, can we just have coffee and talk about this in your room? Listen, I, even though it's been 41 years, I can remember that this made me very apprehensive because I'd never been alone in a hotel room with a man that I didn't know. But right. in the back of your mind, you're thinking, this is the attorney general. This, this will be okay. So I, uh, he said, well, I'm talking to someone, and I'll be up there shortly. So I order coffee to the room. And the coffee comes, and then as soon as they leave, I hear a knock on the door. And I always wondered if he was standing out there somewhere to watch to make sure that he wasn't seen, you know, with the people that uh, delivered the coffee. Anyway, the knock on the door. I open the door, and there stands Bill Clinton with dark sunglasses on. I mean, that was made me even more anxious. But I ushered him on in. He comes into the room, puts his suit coat across the, the uh, chair, takes off his sunglasses, and walks around to the other side of the table where I had my files, had the coffee, and everything ready for a meeting. And I'm starting to pour the coffee. I hope I'm not being too descriptive here for you. No, but please. I want to you to just yeah. I want you to let it all out. I want to know it all. Yeah. Okay, I'm pouring the coffee, and he says, come here a minute. So I walk around. It was about a six-foot table with chairs around it. So I walk around that, and I'm up on about the fifth floor, fourth floor, something like that. And it looks down on the Arkansas River and some right. old buildings down there. And so I walk around to where he's standing, and he's pointing down to an old building down there. And uh, he says, when I become governor, I want to restore that. It was an old 1800 jailhouse, and he said that would make a, a great historic site. So I just sort of look at it and start to walk back around. But before I can, he grabs me, and that was a shock. You know, I thought maybe he was going to show me something else down there. And he pulls himself to me, and he tries to start kissing me. And I thought, oh, my God. What on earth? You know, I, I was shocked. Uh, I, it, it, all of my, the horrors were coming true from my apprehension that I had about him coming to my room. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I, I say, no, no, you know, I have really no idea what I said. But the extent of us, it was no, you know, the uh, no. And start to walk back around the table. And he grabs me again, starts the same process all over again, and I start to scream. I think to myself, I mean, I'm a very independent woman, and I start to scream, push him away, and at that time, I probably weighed 110, 115 pounds, and here you have this six-foot, very large man who was not taking no for an answer. And I I can't begin to tell you how frightening that was to me. He pushes me back on the bed, and I'm 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 horrified. I I feel like my God, 
what on earth is going to happen to me? And I don't go into the rape scenario except to tell you every time I screamed after he forced me back on the bed, every time I would scream or get loud or fight him, he would bite on my upper lip as he was trying to kiss me. And that was so frightening. At times he would bite down so hard that I thought, my God, he's going to bite my lip off. And it was, it was horrifying. It's, uh, I mean, I'm just now able to really talk about it without crying. And I think that's because I've spent so much time in interviews and talking to people, which has actually been therapeutic. But it's a sure. horrible sequence, what happened with the ripping of my clothes and with everything that went on. I'd never known anyone that had been raped. I didn't know anything about someone being raped, even though I was a registered nurse. And it was horrifying. And at a point in your mind, you think, I give up. Let this get over with. My lip is hurting. I'm hurting in all parts of my body. I just want this to get over with. And when it was over with, I'm sitting up on the side of the bed. And I'm trembling, I'm crying, I'm trying to cover myself with the sheet from my torn clothing and exposure of my body. And he calmly gets up, he walks to the foot of the bed, and he looks at me like, what in the hell are you crying about, woman? And he says to me, he says, don't worry, I'm sterile. I had mumps when I was a boy. And I thought, why are you saying that? What, what, if, what you just did to me, that just went over my head. And I'm still sitting there. They even made me cry harder. He puts on his suit coat, puts on his sunglasses, and just before he goes out the door, he motions to my mouth, which was swollen three times the normal size, maybe two, and bleeding. And he says, you better put some ice on that and walks out the door. I'll never forget that phrase. I mean, that was so calloused. And so it's, it's like he felt so, so privileged. You know, hey, I did this to you, and you better get that. You better put some ice on your mouth. So your upper lip was, was swollen and bleeding. Yes. Yeah, not bleeding a lot, in. bleeding down the corners of my mouth from inside right. where he had bitten. And, and I'm, I'm uh, guessing, I'm guessing you're thinking in your head, he's biting my upper lip to keep me quiet. Oh yeah, and, and or, it was so hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. To kind of keep me, yeah, because of the pain. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's one of the, and and this is just kind of the uh, observation. I, I've got a friend who um, who works uh, in an agency that deals with um, basically SVU. And they, uh, they, tell, they, they have told me, and he has too several times, that a lot of rapists and sexual assault artists, they find a way, it's almost like, for instance, I have a lot of lower back pain from the days I've played football, lifting weights, etc. There are days that my back hurts so bad that if I stub my pinky toe at the end of my bed, 
for about five minutes, my back doesn't hurt. And it's almost like euphoria, like tears will run down my face because I can't feel my back pain. And the only pain that I'm feeling is my, my pinky toe. And oh, yeah. my friend told me, he said, rapists and, and uh, sexual predators use this a lot of times because, they number one, they've done research on it, and sometimes it's just a first reaction scenario to make their victims feel pain elsewhere so that they can't feel the pain not only um, – you know, in, in, in private areas, but also in emotionally what's going on. They can't think. Right. right. And, and that's exactly that phrase what to happened. me, yeah, well, that phrase to me that you just said, I mean, the callousness, the cold-heartedness of yeah. any human being, I don't give a shit if it's 1961, but to – unbridled just walk out of walking out of a room turn and look at you as he knew that he was biting down hard enough on your upper lip that oh yeah it was either bleeding or swollen and say to you you better put some ice on that uh yeah it was it was shocking in today's day and time most women would have had you know their second amendment hanging on their purse and you know, to be completely honest with you, point blank, the son of a bitch would have been laying on the floor. Yeah, yeah, I've always but that, in that in yeah, in that day and time, I'm sure it was different for for you, and because we weren't as we're not we're, we're, we weren't then where we are now with sexual assault and especially rape. And so, oh, yeah. my next question would be. What happened next? As soon as he left the room, and it's just something I I remember, my first thought was my safety. I had this feeling like, uh, who's going to come in to get rid of the body? So I rushed to the door and lock it and go back and lay down. I mean, I'm overwhelmed. The most horrific event of my life, and I can't even understand it. I can't, I can't even think straight. Well, about 30 minutes later, Norma Rogers, who was my director of nursing, comes back to the room because I never showed up for the meeting. And she's looking for me. She comes back to the room and knocks. And I go to the door. I mean, I had and looked through the peephole. I'd even forgotten where I was that I was there to attend the meeting. I'd forgotten about her. I'd forgotten about everything. And I opened that door, and she sees me in that condition and rushes through the door and grabs me and says, oh, my God, I don't know for sure what she said, but in essence, what happened? And we go back and sit on the end of the bed, and I tell her. And then we're both just sitting there quiet, and she's not being able to comprehend it, any more than I am. This was a man running. He was the attorney general. He's running for governor. It's 8.30 in the morning. Why in the hell did this happen? That's all you can right. think. And, 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 and what do we do? And she says that. What do you want to do? And she says, and I said, I just want to go home. 
But before we do, she helps me get dressed. She gets ice from my mouth. We had to stop several times on the way home to get ice from my mouth because my first instinct was this is my damn fault. I let this monster come to my room. And back in 78, women were told men will be men, just deal with it. And so that's what Norma and I thought we had to do. Nobody would have believed me. People say, well, why didn't you report this to the police? Bill Clinton was the police. Who in me, in their right mind, would believe that a man for governor, running for governor as attorney general would go in at 8.30 in the morning and rape a woman? <laughs> who, who, yeah. who would have? In my and mind, I'm well, thinking you had all odds against you immediately because he, he was the chief police of the state. Exactly. And not only that, Adam, the attorney general's office regulated nursing homes. He already knew I was in financial difficulty, and he could have shut me down at a moment's notice on some simple little complaint. You know, I, 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 there, there was nothing I could do, absolutely nothing. But the big thing is I blame myself. No one knew at that time what a predator Bill Clinton was. It, it, it hadn't gotten out. No one knew. So what do I think? My God, why did this happen to me, the only woman he's probably ever done this to? And it, it's got to be my fault. You know, that is so um... – now you 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 talk about Norma. I, I want to say something real quick to our our uh, listening audience. There's a lot of women, even men, that are listening. That you may have gone through a similar situation and felt powerless because of the people that were either elite or in power that have done something to you like this. Now, she's right. In that day and age, basically, women were told barefoot in the kitchen. Uh, it was very, very, very um, unculturistic for a woman to be out of the home, much less owning her own business. And not only that, the attorney general of the state, the head cop, who's making decisions about the nursing home, is fixing to become governor of the state, which is the biggest mistake Arkansas ever made. Trust me, I know I lived there. She's in a catch-22. If I say anything, the business that I busted my ass to build at 30 years old is probably going to get shut down. And number three, he's the head cop. So if I report this to anybody, nobody's not only going to believe me, but my name is going to be dragged through the mud, dragged through the trenches, and the embarrassment is only going to climb higher. And I'm sure that there were times – I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, Juanita, but a lot of – people that I talk to that have been in nowhere near the situation with the high profile that you have been, 
But a lot of people who go through this, you know, they hold that because they're they feel like they're unable to report it or say something about it, they hold this inside of them and it makes them it makes them suicidal. The thought oh, yeah. process in their head. Did that ever right. go through your head? No, no. I had a young son. I had a business to run. And people say, well, how did you get through that time? I'm just a worker. Uh, I, I'm absolutely one of the hardest working people that, that I knew at that time. And I just delved into my work, tried to get past this, although I was like a zombie for, for many weeks. Uh, I, and my, my work made me stronger and taking care of other people. Sure. Was your was your um, mother and father alive when this happened? No, my father died when I was 26, and my mother uh, was one of the owners of my nursing home. Yes, my mother oh, okay. was alive, but, but you'll find out from my book that my mother was absolutely no help. My mother and I never got along. It was a... It was a okay. traumatic situation. I, I, I was a victim of uh, child abuse from my mom. Uh, I see. Uh, verbal, verbal and physical child abuse. So uh, my mother was absolutely no help in this situation. It was my friends that I leaned on at that time uh, that, that I got through it. There were five people that I told, mainly because of what I looked like. It took several days. Well, no, not several days. It took a, about a day or two for the swelling to begin to go down. And then I had to mask my upper lip uh, and area with makeup to cover the bruising. So, but it, it's not the physical. It's not the physical things that people noticed. I was, a, I was like a, a wounded dog. You know, I wasn't uh, the happy Emotional person wreck. that I was. Yeah, I, I was a wreck. That's exactly what it was. So there were people that knew me closely and were very close that knew something had happened. And those people, you know, even went on uh, the uh, NBC Dateline and, and told about, you know, how I was at that time. And it, 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 was, uh, it was just devastating to me. You know, it was uh, something that I hope no one goes through, but I get messages every day and emails from women and men that have been through something as bad or worse than I have. This Nor, uh, Norma uh, Rogers, did she ever um, – and I'm going to ask you this because I, I, as, as somebody on a podcast, I have to ask you. When this first sure. was brought up in the 90s, um, you basically re recanted um, – the story, which is, and I want everybody to listen to this real quick. It is, it is very common, and it doesn't even have to be anything sexual. Um, any crime that takes place physically, people who are being beat up by Mexican cartels every single day, their families are at, are at risk from these. MS-13 gangs, they recant their stories all the time because they're under the fear that if they say something, their entire life and or extended family is going to be ruined. With that exactly. being said, I want, to clear this, I want to clear this up real quick because 
um, in the 90s, there was, a, there was a story that came out that basically said that you had recanted the whole um, event or you had denied it. Can you kind of – I don't want you to elaborate oh, sure. too much on that, but I, I want you to explain I, I why that to. happened. Yeah. Yeah, please. I want to. Okay. Every now and then there would be rumors through the late 80s and, and early 90s that a woman in Arkansas had been raped by Bill Clinton. And I'm sure the people that I told told somebody else, you know, don't tell anything about this, but things like that get out. Okay. Uh, in 1997 or 98, uh, when the Paula Jones uh, – uh, well, I'm hearing a lot of static right now. Are you all – Yeah, I'm good. I'm, we're, we're, we're good. We're okay. good. We're, it's on, it's on okay. your end, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, uh, when Paula Jones came out with her suit, uh, it's something I, – I never wanted to go back into this. I became successful on, on my own, and I, I was happy. I never wanted to get involved in this. I saw what they did to Jennifer Flowers. I saw what they did to Kathleen Willey and what they tried to do to Paula Jones. And all of a sudden, one morning, uh, two people show up at my front door, and it's Rick and Beverly Lambert. They were investigators, private investigators, for the law firm that uh, represented Paula Jones. They come onto my front porch, and I walk out and talk to them. They look very nice, and I didn't have any fear from them or anything. Walked down the porch. And they began to tell me that uh, they'd heard rumors about what had happened to me, and uh, they wanted me to know that the lawyers wanted me to be involved in Paula Jones' suit. And I told them, and this transcript is on the Internet. It was Rick and Beverly Lambert. In fact, they are the parents of Miranda Lambert. When she was a little girl, they had a private investigation firm. Wow, I did not know that. Are you serious? Oh, yes, 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 and I talked with them, you know, many years after that, and they felt bad about it, but anyway. So Miranda Lambert's parents were the investigators, or the private investigators that were uh, a part of the Paula Jones case, and they come to visit you. Right, on my front porch. Very nice. Holy shit. And then all of a sudden they start saying, we want you to be a part of this, and I tell them in so many words, no, 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 don't go there. Uh, I'm very happy now. Everything's okay. And you're not going to get me to recant the most horrible event of my life. I won't go there. And I had no idea that they were recording it. They take that recording back to Paula Jones Lawyers, and within days I'm subpoenaed for a deposition as Jane Doe Number 5. And my, my son, who's an attorney, and uh, my, my attorney that was my attorney during all of this, um, tell me that there's going to be a deposition in their office. And I tell them both, I will deny. They're not going to drag me into this. And so I walk straight into that deposition, and I say, nothing happened. And as I get up and I leave those attorneys there, I think, well, that will serve you right. And I walk out of that room feeling very victorious. And then, a couple of months later, here comes another subpoena. And it's from Ken Starr with the impeachment of Bill Clinton. 
1998. Those invested, the, yes. Those at, that law firm sent that recording of me to Ken Starr. I don't know, to get even with me because I wouldn't join their lawsuit. I have no idea. So then <laughs> my son, the attorney, that comes over and, to my home and says, Mom, you're going to be deposed by Ken Starr. Paula Jones was a civil suit. You're now looking at a federal suit. You have to come clean. You have to tell the truth this time. And I keep saying, I can't do that. I, just, I cannot be dragged into this. He said, Mom, you don't have any choice. You've got to come forward and tell the truth. So that's what I did. You know, that blows my absolute mind. Because oh, yeah. out of all the things that, that, that obviously, you know, you know, when you run a podcast, you do, you do your due diligence and do research on people. I've got a team of people that does it uh, for me and with me. I do it on my own. I wake up in the middle of the night. Um, I, 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 you know, I mean, I, I do the, I do the whole thing and to know that, that number one, just to know that Miranda Lambert's mom and dad had a private investigating firm that was the part of Paula Jones's deal that brought you in. No wonder you were trying to, so, so the, the whole point of recanting was not necessarily recanting. It was you saying, right. <laughs> I don't want my name brought back up in this shit. Yeah, exactly, Adam. That's what it was. And, you know, it had... had you had, had a Paula business Jones, to run. Right. Had Paula Jones's attorneys not secretly sent that recording to Ken Starr's committee, I would never have come forward. I, I, people say, oh, you're so brave. We're just so proud of you. I never would have come forward. I was outed. I was not the courageous people person that people say, oh, you finally came forward. I did it kicking and screaming. What was it like to be um, deposed by Ken Starr? Well, I never met Ken Starr, but his attorneys were there. But I'll give you uh, something that I never really tell people. I walk into that meeting, and there's the same attorneys that were there when I was deposed by uh, Paula Jones in the beginning, Clinton's, Clinton's people, and they see me walk in, probably have no idea that I'm going to tell the truth this time because I know they know the truth. And I sit down, I start to tell my story to Ken Starr's attorneys, and one guy gets up, throws some kind of paper or form at the wall and screams she's lying. That was in the deposition. And they calm him down. This is one of Clinton's attorneys? Well, I, I have, it, wasn't, it wasn't one of Ken Starr's. Right, and so basically it's somebody in Congress's attorney. Yeah, yeah, uh, our Clinton's attorney. I have, an, I have a, a memory that it was Clinton's attorneys. And I think they thought they were home free. And then here I come in and tell the truth, and they were upset. And then it was very traumatic for me. But let me tell you, Ken Starr's people were so kind to me. They, they couldn't have been nicer. And I told my story, and I left. I left. 
But the main thing in my deposition with Ken Starr is there was no obstruction of justice. I stayed out of this because I didn't want to be involved. I hadn't mm-hmm. been paid off to keep quiet. There was, it was nothing like Monica Lewinsky. I stayed out of my own accord. So people say, well, she went in front of Ken Starr and he found her not credible. That's a lie. Ken Starr, even when he was doing his book tour, said, no, that, that's not true. She had no proof of obstruction of justice, and that's the only way we could have brought her into this. You know, I, I, you mentioned uh, Monica Lewinsky, who I, 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 to be completely honest with you, Juanita, I completely find repulsive. Um, I'm not saying Listen. that it, there, w- there was a time that she could have made a big difference. Exactly. The Me Too, the Me Too movement could have had a leader that was in the White House that could have stood for every woman and every man that had ever been through what you've been through, and she chose, she chose out of selfishness because, and I say that with all due respect. Because you can see what's going on with her right now in, today, in, in today's era. The selfishness will, will absolutely kill a person's integrity. My father always used to tell me that. Selfishness will always kill a, person, a person's integrity. She yeah, could have and, been and the I, face of everything. Exactly. And when she came out last year... As a victim, I understand that, Adam. She was a, I do, too. You might as well say she was a child. But that doesn't, that doesn't uh, excuse her now for not, you know, for not uh, supporting the, the, the victims, the other victims. Absolutely. Question. So... Before we came on air, I, I, I was explaining to you the reason that I reached out to you. And, um, you know, Ronan Farrow, he, he, he's, he's pretty famous right now. He's, he's got this whole thing um, going with uh, sexual assault and, and harassment and rape. And um, I was reading in, in uh, I, I believe it's, an art, it's a, a magazine or an article called The Fact and um, he was specifically talking about you. He said, while all these other people were demonizing you for being a victim, and see, that's what I tell a lot of people that I talk to is, and I, I'm going to come back to this in just a second, but I want to make a point to you and see what your thoughts are real quick. I tell people every day, I actually talked to someone yesterday, and I said, the mainstream media wants to make you out as an accuser, not as a victim. There is a big-ass difference. Anybody can accuse somebody of something. But if you are a victim of something and people are using you to make money, to write a book, whatever, 
they to me are as gross as the perpetrator. Now, you may disagree with that extreme analysis, but to me, when, when, you're, trying to, when you're trying to do something, when, when somebody's telling their story of being a victim and you're turning them into a quote-unquote accuser, yeah. to me, you're, take, you're, you're taking away their integrity. Yes. And, you know, I said I would never write a book, and I never meant to write a book. I wrote my memoirs to give to my son. You know, after I came back from the second debate and then I also went to the inauguration of uh, President Trump, I thought, yes. you know, I need to sit down and write my, my story. And my story and my book barely mentions Bill Clinton. I do go into that because it's part of my life now. My book is about my struggles as a young woman entrepreneur and what I faced and the hitch that I faced when I was raped by Bill Clinton. You know, it affected me, but it didn't, it didn't change my, my, uh, my person. You know, I was still that same strong working person and strived to always do as much as I could for the elderly. Uh, and that that was important to me. And many people, uh, after our, or just before I wrote my book, would contact me and say, let's do a book, but we only want to talk about Bill Clinton. Well, I was more than that. Uh, you know, my life was more than Bill Clinton. And, and my struggles as a mother, uh, as a wife, as a divorced woman, uh, and uh, marrying again, all of those struggles and even with my mother, and still becoming a, a successful businesswoman, to me, is what I wanted to uh, put out in my book. That is why everybody who's listening, you need to go to Amazon right now, and you need to buy the book by Juanita Broderick. The book is called You Better Put Some Ice on That, How I Survived Being Raped by Bill Clinton. And I'm going to tell you why you need to go buy this book because it's not it's because it's not because she's a a uh, rape victim, but if you read the lower the lower part of the title of her book, it's how I survived. You know what Juanita Broadwick is? She's a survivor. She just told you she went on to. Afterwards, after all of this horror in her life and her family uh, with her mom, uh, her son being an attorney going, listen, you've got to go visit with Ken Starr's attorneys. This whole impeachment thing, they need you. Jane Doe number five. How many women out there or men out there would like to be called Jane Doe or John Doe number five, for Christ's sake? It don't happen. The greatest part about Juanita Broadwick is not – what Bill Clinton's sorry ass did to her. The greatest part about this woman is how she survived, she overcame, and not only that, is she did not let anybody on the outside determine whether she was going to be a success or a failure. She is an absolute success. That's why you need to go buy her book right the hell now, Amazon.com. The book title again is You'd better put some ice on that. The secondary title is How I Survived Being Raped by Bill Clinton. 
Moving forward, Miss Juanita. And I, I still have a problem calling you Juanita. I cry. I know I can feel my father <laughs> grabbing a hold of my ears right now and turning them like we were in church. You know what I mean? I'm thinking, dear God, please, Lord, just don't let Dad hear this interview. Okay, so yeah. I, I've got a few questions, and, and I, again, I, I I reached out to you because I I read the um, I decided to do a few weeks on um, you know sexual abuse victims, no matter what it is. And um, man or male or female, and he said something in that article that I read. He said that your your allegations are actually credible, and then he he even goes on and says this on the Bill Maher show on HBO, and everybody knows Bill Maher. Um, he said the allegations are, and I quote, overdue for revisiting. A few questions real quick. With everything that you've been through with the Clintons, number one, I have to ask this question for my audience. Did and or is Hillary Clinton ever been or had threatened you or has threatened you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Can you elaborate and, uh, for our audience, please? Oh, yeah. I did this with Sean Hannity back in 2004. And uh, about three weeks after the rape, um, there was a fundraiser for Bill Clinton. Prior to the rape, I had helped set up this fundraiser because I was very active in my county uh, for his um, uh, campaign. I had set up a fundraiser with my dear friend that had this beautiful home up on the mountain here called Mount Vista. Their names were Dr. Buddy and Betty Criswell. And I had talked them into having this uh, fundraiser up there and, uh, uh, and worked with them in setting it up. After the rape, I come back, and it's all I can do to put one foot in front of the other and did not even... I had already called the campaign office and told them that my business has taken too much time and I couldn't campaign anymore. I had gotten myself free of that. And then the day of the fundraiser, Betty calls me and says, uh, what time will you be here? And do you have those lists of the people that you talk to that want to contribute? And I thought, well, Jesus Christ, there's a fundraiser tonight. Completely forgot it. Right. And I knew I didn't, I didn't want to go to this. And I told her, I said, as soon as I leave my office, I will run up there, bring you those lists, but I'm not feeling well and I can't stay. So that's exactly what I did. I go up there, I hand her the list, and I had a few contributions, small checks, uh, about three or four, for like 25 or $30. And I gave those to the woman that was already there before the Clintons got there from the uh, state headquarters and told her again, you know, I can't be in this and I can't really stay tonight uh, because I'm not feeling well, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I started to leave. I start toward the front door. And um, about that time, a gentleman comes to me. His name was Chuck Watts. He's a local pharmacist and a very good friend who knew nothing about the rape. Uh, very few knew at that time. And he comes over to me. He had driven the Clintons from the airport. And he said, 
well, this is a surprise. He said the phone, the uh, uh, conversation all the way from the airport was Bill and Hillary Clinton asking me questions about you and if you would be here. And I absolutely froze. And I thought, I have to get out of here. And I told him, I said, I can't stay. Uh, I've got to leave. I continued to the front door. And the next person that comes toward me is Hillary Clinton. And she, I know she's coming toward me. I know she's going to say something to me. And I'm thinking as I see her coming, this poor woman that's married to that monster, what on earth will I do? She comes to me, takes a hold of my hand, and she says, I just want to tell you how appreciative that Bill and I are for everything you do in this campaign. And I could have nodded. I could have said, thank you. I have no idea, you know. And I start to leave. And I thought it, I felt somebody grab me from behind. And I thought it was somebody going to say, where are you going? Uh, or, you know, what's, what's going on? And I turn around and it's Hillary Clinton. And it shocks me. She's got a hold of my arm. She pulls me back to her. And she pulls me down to her face and she says, do you understand everything you do? And I could have fainted. And, and at that moment in time, I knew she knew. She may not have known the full details, but this woman knew what happened to me, and she was threatening me. And I jerked my arm from hers, and I left. I never saw him. Do you th- did, she, did, you, did you ever hear from her during the... Uh the 2016 election that she ever tried once she no. made that appearance with Trump, was there anything? No, nothing, nothing. What I've never heard from her since the last time. Uh, but after I got back from the rape, Bill Clinton would call my office. And for a couple of times I would tell my assistant and it was he so would call your office after she, what race? After the rape. After the rape occurred. Oh, after the he rape. He would call me. your office. After, after he raped you, he would call your office. Yes, and I would tell my administrator. Her, her name was uh, Berta Young. And she, she didn't know what had happened. And she would come in and she'd say, it's Bill Clinton on the phone. And I would say, please tell him I'm busy. You know, it was a shock that he was calling me. Well, about the third or fourth time that he called, I answered the phone while she's at lunch. And I answer the phone, my usual salutation, and say, uh, Brownwood Manor, hello, this is Mrs. Hickey, how can I help you? And this voice on the other end says, hi, this is Bill, when are you coming back to Little Rock? And I just hung up the phone. I thought, the mitigated gall. I, and I, I, was, I was so confused. Why would he think I would be coming back to Little Rock ever to see him again? And then the next time I heard from him, I hadn't seen him, didn't know anything that was, you know, there was no contact whatsoever until 1991. I was down at a nursing home meeting with my same nurse and her sister, my employees, and somebody comes to the door and they say, Mrs. Broderick is wanted in the hall. So I get up and I go out there. And the gentleman says, you're wanted down around the corner. Well, my nurses followed me out, but they stayed a distance behind. You know, we're thinking it's an emergency from home. And I go down around the corner, and as I go around, there stands Bill Clinton. And I think, I mean, I hadn't seen the man in 13 years. 
It frightened the hell out of me. He's standing right. there with two of his, his Arkansas State policemen, and he comes over to me, and uh, he tries to take a hold of my hand, and I just keep backing up from him. It frightened me. And he starts saying, I'm a changed man. I'm a family man. I'm so sorry for what I did to you. And I'm just standing there thinking, what in the hell? And I'm What year is this you. now? 91. 1991, and, right before he's, as he's running for president. Yes, yes. And uh, I looked straight at him and I said, you go to hell. And I started crying and I walked off. And when I got back to the girls, Norma and Jean, they said, what was that about? And I said, he apologized to me. And we were just all in, in shock. They both knew what he had done to me. And, of course, it was just a, just a few weeks later that he announced that he was running for president. But what upsets me more than anything, what upset me at that time, was that he knew where I was at that time in my life. And it's like he was saying, hey, I can reach out, reach out and touch you anytime I want. It, it was, was a frightening. Oh, I, I you know, no, again, I, no I go doubt. back to my, I go back to my FBI buddy who basically is, is SVU um, and deals with sexual victims all the time. And before I started this, this has been over, uh, you know, a couple months ago when I said, you know, I want to talk about some of these sexual victims, um, assault victims, especially with Showtime doing a, a feature on Fox News and. Megan Kelly, Gretchen Carlson, Juliet Huddy, um, which she's blocked me on Twitter. I don't. I disagree only because I disagree with her politics, not because of what happened to Juliet. Um, I think Juliet is a fine journalist. I think she has a, an incredible career. Um, her politics, on the other hand, I totally disagree with. But my FBI buddy told me, he said, you know, one of the things about a sexual predator is he always, if he's a predator, a more than one-time predator, which we, we can all, uh, you know, we all know now that Bill Clinton is, he wants to let his victims know that he is an absolute, and I use that word in capital letters, absolute control. He, yes. he, wants, he wants his victims, predators, want their victims to know that they are everywhere at all times and they can do what – they want you to think they can do whatever they want to and your retaliation means nothing to them. And exactly. that is what – and Juanita, that's what – and just talking to several victims over the last several days – off the record and off air, that is the common denominator with every single one of them. Oh, exactly. Either somebody's trying to pay them off, or somebody shows up and threatens their family, or they call their personal cell phone. They do something to make them – it's like the fear of God being put in them to where they just keep their mouth shut, and these people get away with it. Yes. Which brings me to my next question, and I know my listening audience wants to hear this. I want to hear Juanita Broadwick's thoughts on Bill Clinton and Jeffrey Epstein. 
Oh, I think they were very entwined. You know, I think he's, uh, and I'm hoping that it'll come out. You know, do you remember in in 2018 when Bill Clinton and James Patterson were being interviewed by Judy Woodruff? I forget what channel. Okay, and Bill Clinton and she she mentions his the allegations against him, and he makes this profound statement, and. I was shocked it wasn't picked up more by the media, but of course it's the Clinton media. And he says, Judy, the norms have changed about what you can do to somebody against their will. I I couldn't believe it, that there he was saying that, and people didn't latch on to it. Bill Clinton said this on, on on the interview. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All you have to do is is Google. Can, can, can you uh, can you say that again? What he said, because I remember the interview, but I, I what what you just said is is yeah. literally sending chills up my back, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners. What did he say again? He said the norms have changed about what you can do to someone against their will, and then he goes on to expound about. When uh, oh, who was the uh, the senator or representative that was in that photo, acting like he was uh, clutching the woman? Uh, oh gosh, and he resigned anyway. Then he went on to talk about that, uh, but I, you could tell that he caught himself after he said that. You know that's scary. Oh yes, I'm telling you, the man is always felt entitled it's like sure i raped her 40 years ago but the times have changed and then he goes on to talk about me too but you know the thing the thing that drives me crazy is usually with with um terps like him and i call i want to make i want to make sure that i make clear that everybody's listening to this program that bill clinton is a sexual perpetrator he's a predator I don't give a flying rat's ass what you think about the Democratic Party or this has nothing to do with politics. Nothing to do with politics. You know where I stand politically. This isn't an attack on necessarily the Democratic Party, although I will say real quick that there seems to be a habit of the liberals – especially the elites, and this habit has formed formed since the 1960s when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, and it has formed throughout, and it has become a natural norm that the Democratic Party feels like they are above and beyond not only the law, but every human being, basically saying they're God, and you can't do shit about it. Yeah, you get that feeling. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you do. Do you not? I mean, my God! I mean, we got TVs all here in our in our, in our studio uh, that were that were uh, uh, recording, and I'm watching on pretty much every channel. And you know, Nancy Pelosi is standing in front of the House of Representatives right now, lying to the American people, flat out lying. I won't go any further on that until another podcast. But when he makes a statement like that, that is profound if i'm if i'm a 
if I'm an FBI, uh, what, what do you call them, uh, a, a, somebody who, who reads personalities, a profiler, if I see that interview, the first thing that goes off is red flag, red flag, red flag, this dude could be a perpetrator. So my question to you is when you see all this stuff about Epstein and all the allegations of the underage girls that this old man, no offense, is, has been sexually involved in, and obviously there's a huge cover-up right now. We're doing everything we can as the truth and podcast to bring to light what is truth. Because it's important that the American culture be changed by this. My thought, my question is, is what are your feelings when you see, like last week, the Sun? They uh, they brought out pictures of not only Clinton on Epstein's plane, but he was on the plane hugging a 17-year-old girl. There's been four or five young ladies that have already come forward basically saying that I was on the plane uh, with Bill Clinton. We went to the island. Uh, there was sexual intercourse that took place. Uh, there's, even, there's even reports now that uh, Hillary Clinton was, has been on that, that Epstein Island. So as a woman who has dealt directly with Bill Clinton in an absolute disgusting predator way what's your what are your thoughts when you see that on the news now i am absolutely overwhelmed that one of those young girls has not come forward and specifically uh told allegations about bill clinton i'm shocked i you know you, you think they're the scared like you were I have absolutely no idea. But wouldn't you love to know what Amy Robach on ABC meant in that undercover video from Veritas? When yeah, she said, Project Veritas, had, James O'Keefe. Yeah, yeah, we had it all. We had Bill Clinton. Well, they've not yet answered to Congress or anybody else, what did you have on Bill Clinton? Yeah, that's Walt Disney for you. Yeah, upsetting. Isn't that sad that we that we are the United States of America? We are the United. We're not freaking Iran. We're not the the Taliban. We're we're, we're not Mexico. We're not. We, we don't cover. We, we we do away with people like this. And so I guess one of the few final questions that I have for you is. What do we do, Juanita? What, as a country, what do we do to fix this problem? Oh, and is there any way that we take down, or you ever see, or me ever see, the Clinton crime family ever being taken down? What do we do about it now? Yeah, well... There's so many things I can't talk about right now that over sure. the next several months will happen, and uh, and it's it's going to be it's going to be alarming and it's going to be shocking. Uh, I wish I could go into it more right now, but I no, can't. no, I I I, I, I know I understand. Yes, 
I do feel like before Bill Clinton dies that he will be brought to justice. You really think that he will be brought to – that people will see him in handcuffs? Yeah, I, 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 that's what I think. What about Hillary? Oh, I, I listen, she's as sly and sneaky as anything. Listen, if that woman had come forward years ago and left that son of a bitch and stood yes. up for women – uh, this would be a different world, and think this of would all be a different women. conversation. Oh yeah, it, just think of the women that were assaulted by Bill Clinton that never would have been had Hillary, had Hillary stood up for women. I'm going to one up you and say, think about what the Democratic Party would be today if Hillary Clinton would have done that. Oh, yeah, exactly. Republicans remember, would never have a yeah, chance. Right. I remember standing outside the Dirksen building because they wouldn't let me in during the Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford. Uh, I was just hearing. fixing to ask you, what are your thoughts on Brett Kavanaugh? Oh, I think he's so, so fine. And I think it's absolutely a tragedy what uh, the Democrats, through Dr. Ford, tried to do to him and did do to him. You know, it's, it's sad. But I stood out there and did interview after interview outside the Dirksen building and told each one that I was standing out there waiting for an apology from Feinstein, Durden, and all of those Democrat senators and congressmen that refused to read my deposition with Ken Starr, that during the impeachment, only Republicans read it. They refused to read what had happened to me. I was not going to appear as a witness uh, in the impeachment, but what they did by refusing to, to even read what happened to me was a travesty. Which, you know, that, that brings me to my next question, and I'm sure everybody listening is going, well, you know, she was a big supporter of Bill Clinton back in the day, and then all of a sudden, uh, no, no, you know, no, Juanita's no. turned into a Republican. Help me out. Help me explain to the listeners what happened. I, I not not what happened. To, no, let's don't. I want to know your transformation into being a supporter of Donald Trump. All right. I was a. I was never political. I was supporting uh, Bill Clinton until he raped me, and then I supported no one. Absolutely no one. I, did, I wanted nothing to do with campaigning or, or helping a political uh, uh, person. Uh, well, there's, there's articles out there that are saying you donated $3,000 to Barack Obama. Exactly. I did. Uh, but you have to understand it's because it was during the primaries and during the early time when he was running against um, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. My, 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 my main objective is that she did not get in there. But I no Clinton in office. Right. I sort of liked him, you know, in the beginning. I was so disappointed that I didn't even vote the, his second uh, term. I didn't even vote. I was so disappointed in Barack Obama. Uh, I wouldn't well, to be honest with you, the guy I was running with him is a piece of shit, too. So. Oh, yeah. Ugh. But I didn't consider myself a Democrat or Republican. I vote for the right. person. 
and then when I voted for Bush and supported him, you know, I was a big Bush fan. Uh, but as far as uh, Barack Obama, uh, yeah, <laughs> I gave you a stick. I've even got a jacket in there somewhere that I let the cat lay on. Well, I mean, I, the reason I brought that up is because when, when, when the listeners are listening to this program, obviously a lot of intelligent people are going to do their own backgrounds, and they're going to find that. And I wanted to make that clear so that you could un- people can understand she wasn't necessarily endorsing Barack Obama. What she was doing was condemning Hillary Clinton. There's two exactly. different things. You're not endorsing yes. somebody if you're condemning somebody they're running against. Right. It's like going. Just, it's like it's like going to Vegas and betting on a football game, which right. which and I do which I do all the time. Hey, I, I I don't I don't like the Bills, and I don't right. like the Broncos. But if they're playing right. each other, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to, and, and, and I hate the Bills, or I hate the Broncos, I'm going to put my bet and my money on the on the team that I want to beat them. Yes. Is that exactly. simple enough? That's, I mean, I mean. Yeah. yeah, and I have a story about Trump too. I wasn't a Trump person in 2016. Uh, I started slow. It's like James Wood said on Twitter, when he was on Twitter. He said, Trump may be vinegar, but Hillary is arsenic. And I thought, yeah, I'll go with that. I think that's yeah. a very good, uh, very good explanation. And I warmed up to the man. But what made me eventually absolutely adore this man is, was in May of 2016 when he was on uh, the Hannity show. He was on Sean's show, and they were talking about the big New York Times article that had just come out with all the women on the front page that were accusing Trump of uh, sexual assault and sexual misconduct. And, And Hannity's sitting there saying, you know, he said, they're talking about uh, uh, sexual assault, and they're talking about uh, all these things. Are they going to talk to Juanita Broderick? Are they going to talk to Paula Jones? Are they going to talk to pa- Kathleen Willey about sexual assault, about sexual exposure? And, and then Trump said, and rape. I could have fallen out of the chair. I thought, my when he, God. I, was, I, 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 I know exactly where I was sitting when he said that. <laughs> I could have fallen out of the chair. I didn't even use the term rape. You know, I would always say sexual assault because rape is so descriptive and it hurts yes. to say the word. But after that day, I thought, he's right. That's the word. That's, that's the most descriptive word, way to define uh, rape. It, it's, it's perfect. So, yeah, and then I warmed up to him really well. And then I, I, uh, I was just uh, – How did you feel to know, sit next to him a few days before that – you know, that that all happened. How did it feel to sit next to Donald Trump knowing that the man obviously and, and, and I'm and I wanna be I wanna be, you know, up front here and I'm just gonna go ahead and tell everybody. I'm probably at the end of Juanita and President Trump's um I'm gonna turn forty here, not 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 too long from now. You know, 15 years ago, in a duck blind or 
in a deer stand or a duck camp or deer camp. What NBC tried to do to Donald Trump, which in my opinion, I'm not saying was right, but if you thought that is bad, honestly, you should have came to my deer camp this year. Because you, it is in a, it's a, it's a place where men, when they're around men, they kind of obloviate themselves, and it doesn't matter who you are, whether it be President Trump or, or, or John Doe, who's, who's at deer camp. It's the same thing as women going to the nail shop. So in this day and age, this is back then when all this happened to you, Juanita, there is a lot of political correctness that's going on. And what I mean by that is verbiage, not actions, verbiage. Yes. The verbiage is different. So everybody wants to hang their coat on, and I see this all the time, and – and I'm really good friends with um, with a few people in the Trump campaign, and it's it's always all the time. Hey, listen, our biggest number one uh, you know goal is basically uh, all these people believe that Donald Trump's beating the hell out of his wife every day. Oh, I, I, I don't see I that. What did you feel when you met with him? What did you feel when you met with him? The kindest, most sincere person and you hear him out in these rallies and did he talk with talk. you oh yes yeah and so so kind and so soft-spoken when Kathleen Willie and Kathy Shelton and Paula Jones and I went to his second debate we met with him uh, before the debate and there just couldn't have been a kinder person anywhere I mean we were just so thrilled before I went to the debate uh, I remember my son calling me and saying Mom, you can't go to that. Did you hear that Hollywood Access tape and what he said? I said, sure. And I believe uh, I mean, uh, Donald Trump. I believe it was locker room talk. You've heard it. I've heard it. And I, I, I trust the man that that's what it was. As and, a man, uh, I can tell you I hear it on almost a, every other day basis. And not oh, from my sure. staff, but just, I mean, my God, you go to the hardware store, you go to the, you go to, you go anywhere where, where, where testosterone is flowing, yeah, um, you're going to hear that. But that doesn't make anybody, just because they talk like that, that doesn't make them Bill Clinton. Right. And you know exactly what I tweeted after that, and uh, Mr. Trump, uh, President Trump retweeted it. I said, actions speak louder than words. Donald Trump said some bad words, but... Bill Clinton raped me, and Hillary threatened me. There's no comparison. Whoa. You know, I, I, I the, over the hour and a half that we spent together, I would hate to be ever on your bad side. So I just want to <laughs> let you know right now, anything you need, <laughs> all you got to do is call me. <laughs> I will, oh. I, I, I will be there. In the words of Mariah Carey. One yeah. final question before we let our audience go. What are you doing now, Juanita? What, what is – you're in retirement. 
um, you, you've been a successful businesswoman. You've got a successful book out there. You, you've been in the mainstream media. What are you doing right now? What, what, what's, what's going on in Juanita's life as we speak? Oh, I travel all over the United States. I'll be in Las Vegas in uh, March, San Antonio in March, and I, I speak and I do book signings. Uh, mostly what I enjoy the most is speaking and educating the people about Bill Clinton and why I support President Trump. The book thing is just a, 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 a side thing. Whether I sell books or not doesn't matter, but I enjoy being out there uh, in support of President Trump and telling people about the Clintons. Well, if, if the people who are listening right now, they may be driving up I-55 going uh, headed to Chicago, to Milwaukee, or they may be coming across because uh, Freedom Declassified is absolute – it's nationwide. It's actually worldwide. We're on 13 different platforms on Spotify, Apple I, Podcast. We are on uh, Google Play and 10 other ranges of media. And this is the great part about it. We don't give a shit about sub- sub- subscribers. We're totally for free. <laughs> Nobody has to pay $1.99 to listen to our program. So you can download oh, awesome. this for free. Oh, I do it for free because I, I, I don't care. I, 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 again, I, I, I don't care. I want people to know the truth. And if the truth means that they have to hear it for free, then what am I to do? I'm not, I'm not trying. My life is great. I've got three boys and a beautiful wife. And, and, and I love what I do, and I travel all over the country, D.C. back and forth, and everybody knows that I'm involved in, in political campaigns uh, all across the country. And I've interviewed some of the most incredible, and the stuff that we've got coming out from Freedom to Classified is going to make America shit your pants. So my <laughs> thing is, yeah, and I'm being serious, my thing is, I am so blessed, and I want you to know this from the bottom of my heart, and this is not even in my notes, so I'm, 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 I'm ab-libbing this, Juanita. And again, my father would – I can still feel him right now. He's grabbing hold of my neck. So <laughs> for the sake of the, for the ending, Mrs. Broadwick, I thank you so much for coming on Freedom to Classified and telling your story. And well, I thank, thank you, you so Adam. much. I thank you so much for being a woman, not only of incredible talent, but of conviction and letting other women know that it doesn't matter how old you are, Juanita Broadwick started her own home, her own business, when she was 30 years old. She went through an absolute catastrophe of a rape by President, then Attorney General of Arkansas, Bill Clinton. She went through threats of his wife, Hillary Clinton. And this woman is still alive today. And she's been on a, every single major television network that you can imagine. And I don't give a rat's high end 
of who she supports, what political party she's affiliated with, I could care less. Here's what I care about. If I was a father of a little girl, I would want my daughter to grow up and be just like Juanita Broderick. The bravery, the absolute, and and Jason may have to help me with some words because this is absolutely off-lived, the bravery, the courageousness, the absolute, I will stand in my place and I don't give a rat's ass who cares about what I have to say or who, uh, who it's about. I just want them to hear what I have to say. If you are a follower of mine, and I've been suspended by Twitter 11 times, they took 40,000 followers from my page. But if you look at the people who actually still follow me, which is under 1,000 because I'm dealing with Twitter, and I'm going to make this email to Twitter public in the next few days, these are people of dignity, respect, loyalty, and integrity, all four of which is a check mark for this young lady who did an interview with us on Freedom Declassified. Juanita, it has not only been a pleasure to meet, to meet you on the phone, I hope someday I can hug your neck, but I want you to know it has been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure for me personally, and I'm going to tell you why. For those of you, you don't know who my sons are because I keep it quiet. But one of my sons, I have three boys, was raped by his half-uncle. And this is why I've decided to do the sexual assault series of Freedom to Classify. Because ever since five years old, I've had to raise this young man. And I have literally been through the toughest parts of the conversations that Juanita had to go through by herself. So every young lady that's listening to this program or every man that has a daughter, I want you to let them listen to this conversation. And we apologize. I apologize if they're too young and they, and I'm sure they go to school, public school. So the, the, you know, if you listen to my podcast, I'm slinging, I'm not, I, I talk like a sailor. Okay. I'm sorry. But if you listen to what Miss Broadwick had to say, it would inspire every person, male or female, to stand up for what you believe in. My father always said, son, to be a real man, to be a real woman, you have to stand up for what you believe in, even if you have to stand alone. 
and Miss Juanita has stood alone. And I am so grateful and so proud that I have got not only to meet you over the airwaves, but that our audience has got to hear your story and hear a success story on not only what had happened to you, but here's the story, America. The mainstream media will only tell you half of it, the quote-unquote accusations. Here's what I'm going to tell you. The quote-unquote success after it happened. This woman rose to the occasion. She stood in the face of fear. And instead of backing down, she lived the American dream. And now you can find her story. You can go to Amazon.com, and the book is entitled, You Better Put Some Ice on That, lower titled, How I Survived Being Raped, by Bill Clinton. Miss Broadwick, thank you so much for coming on Freedom Declassified. Well, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's just been a delight talking to you. And also, they can get information. I have videos and everything on my website, Juanita Broderick. Will you go ahead and, that's what I was going to say, will you go yeah. ahead and enlighten our listeners on your website and all your social media Let's 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 do that rule. Let's do that. Let's let's make sure we hit it all. Sure, uh, my uh, Twitter handle, but you can just type in Juanita Broderick, and it's spelled J-U-A-N-I-T-A, and Broderick is B-R-O-A-D-D-R-I-C-K, and that's JuanitaBroderick.com. On Twitter, I'm uh, at a tennis nut, and that's spelled A T E. N S N U T. I love Twitter. <laughs> and I still play tennis. That's why I have that handle. Well, it, 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 if they're like wanting to know where you're going to be at or where you're speaking at, book sightings, they go to your website, and that website is again what? JuanitaBroderick.com. And you can also order books through there if anyone wants a signed book. Oh, that's cool. So you can get a signed book from Juanita. Listen, you want a signed book, if you're listening, from this lady. I, just trust me, you, you want a signed book, um, go to JuanitaBroderick.com and order from there. You can get a signed book from her. And I want to thank everybody who uh, stayed a part of Freedom to Classify today. Last words. I want to say this. Our country is in peril. We are at a state of emergency, and you say, Adam, you, a state of emergency, you're scaring me. No, I'm not trying to scare you at all. What I'm trying to tell you is our country is at a position of choice. You have a choice between heaven and hell, right from wrong, left or right, you have a choice. And if we move the wrong way, then it will set our country back not only just a few years, but it could set our country back decades like you've seen in the 50s and 60s. Right now we're on the path of success, and we want to continue that path 
of success, and it's people like Miss Broadwick. In my evidence, if I was attorney, I would say rest my case. <laughs> Juanita, I want you to hang on the line just for a second as I end the program. Thank you guys for listening to Freedom Declassified. Thank you so much for going to her website and going to Amazon and buying her book. Again, I'm going to mention it one more time. Juanita Broadwick, author of You'd Better Put Some Ice on That, How I Survived Being Raped by Bill Clinton. Go buy the damn book now, right now. Until I hear or see or touch base with anybody else again, this is Adam Brassfield, and you've been Freedom Declassified. Fire! Fire!